For more information on Ancient Dragon Zen Gate, please visit our website at www.ancientdragon.org. Our teachings are offered to the community through the generosity of our supporters. To make a donation online, please visit our website. Maybe everybody knows Dylan Toropov or Eno, and one of the people who works very hard to make this situation possible. Thank you, Dylan, for speaking to me. Hello, everybody. So, um, I had in my notes that this is the the first uh, uh, Dharma talk in this room uh, today, but uh, I was also realizing tonight that this is the first time I've uh, given a Dharma talk in front of the Sangha in person uh, ever. <laughs> so, uh, I've done a couple online. Uh, but this is still pretty new for me. Um, and it's, it's uh, a challenge because for a couple of reasons. Um, first and foremost, because it's an attempt to talk about uh, our practice, which... Uh, is uh doesn't isn't isn't bound by words and letters i don't know who said that but somebody did a lot of people did so that's uh makes it difficult for me to uh come up with how to describe uh this practice or how this practice manifests for me it's also uh challenging because I've only been practicing for a couple of years. Um, I, think, I think this is five years now that I've been with you all here at uh, Ancient Dragon. Uh, I also want to say hello to looks like Joe and Co uh, in the in the online realm. Hello. So, uh, in trying to decide. A topic for tonight. First, I was thinking about the, the title of. I know. I know. Usually, you know, you you come up with the title last, uh, or a lot of a lot of folks who are writing do that last. For me, uh, this time, coming up with a phrase that I could expand off of was the uh, the starting point for me. Uh, at first. This phrase, uh, the courage of discovering yourself, was in my mind. And then I thought, well, maybe it should be the courage of being yourself. Then I, uh, I didn't want to get into or the technicalities of, of your, you know, possessiveness of, be, you know, having a self or not. So already you can see, you know, the... This is this is difficult for me to to talk about this. So I'm I'm imagining a future me listening to this, or people in the future in general listening to this, and uh, um, <laughs> thinking of uh, just you know uh, all the all the uh, um, the, the limited attempts of of trying to trying to say something helpful. Um, so, you know, I sat in front of a blank screen for a while and uh, I decided that what I was actually interested in talking about was the, the willingness to just trust Zazen. Uh... I, f I feel like that that phrase sits right for me and it, uh, it does a, it works in terms of not getting caught in too many hoops, uh, semantic hoops. So that's the title of the talk is just trusting Zazen. 
So, um, so far the rule of, for me of whenever I've given a talk here at ancient dragon has been me sitting and asking myself, well, what is the talk that I need to hear right now? What's the, what's the talk that would be helpful for me? Uh, and this phrase, trusting Zazen, just trusting Zazen, has been the background of my uh, pillar, the background of my practice um, since I got here. I don't have any, you know, there's not a, this is my, this is the only home temple that I've known, you know, so I don't have, it's, this is, um, this is, uh, this, this uh, context is, um, is my sangha. Um, So, uh, so just trusting Zazen, it, um, it has not been a secret that this has been a, this has been a hard time for all of us. I don't know when exactly to start that clock of just when it became a hard time. Maybe, uh, part of me says, 2016, another part of me says sometime in 2020. Maybe it's connected. Uh, it all, it all, you know, I don't know if there's a exact moment I would say it started being distinctly difficult from the time in my life beforehand. But this, this has been difficult for uh, a while. Um, and I'm going to make a confession that it's been tempting sometimes for me to not have as much hope as I did before. I've had that temptation uh, a couple of times. But, uh, you know, then the question in my mind is, you know, giving up hope and what exactly? <laughs> uh, maybe it would be Hope in the future, you know, hope in uh, myself, I think, hoping myself to be enough to contribute something that uh, that's meaningful or helpful in all this. Um, I know that that's heavy sentiment to bring in, but I think it's important to say um, not only for us as a for, for me to be honest with you, uh, but also for posterity's sake, uh, you know, for, for the beings in the future that could hear this talk, you know, I think it's important for folks to know that, um, that this has been, um, that right now this is, this is, a this is a, this is a distinctly challenging time. We're here, um, in uh, the classroom of Ebenezer Lutheran Church for the first time. And, uh, you know, this is, uh, I was writing an email today and I saw in my signature, I, I forget this sometimes, but I have a picture of uh, the altar at our, at our old spot in on Irving Park of the altar with uh, my uncle's, name on it for when he when he died um and uh and i just was looking at that picture and and um you know uh yeah so this is a new context for us and this is uh and i'm also incredibly grateful because it's really important to me to not take life for granted and to study um, what's going on 
study the self, as Dogen said. And uh, this Sangha has made that possible. And that's a, uh, an incredibly profound gift. So I want to say that I, uh, I really um, want to thank this Sangha for that, for making that possible. Um, so the pain of, of being a person right now is very real. Uh, for, you know, our political context, our uh, COVID context, our uh, social, racial justice context, uh, climate context. Uh, it's, um, it, it's, um, it challenges us to Uh, how do I say this? Um, to be steady. I think it's easy to uh, let it be too much. So I don't have that in my notes, but maybe that's part of what trusting Zazen is, is um, allowing yourself to be steady through this, allowing ourselves uh, and, to, and to continue to live our lives um, and do, do the things that are, that's that's natural for each of us to to not um, uh, to not ignore you know the uh, the what needs to be what what needs to be attended to, but um, but at the same time to uh, let ourselves. Allow ourselves to be happy. Allow ourselves to to to, uh, to be to do the things on a daily basis that refresh us. That that that, that we each deserve that. That um, you know, no matter what. Um, so uh, each of us is carrying that pain, a distinct version of that pain with us. And it's been uh, stretching us in ways that I, I doubt that we would have chosen, you know, before the pandemic started. So for me, uh, a lot of this has come up as loneliness and fear. I'll be honest again. Those, when I was writing this talk, those are the two words that... Um, were the strongest for me is feelings of loneliness and fear. Uh, and yet, there is some there, there's some deep feeling in my heart that just always refuses to give up on the uh, effort of learning how to be compassionate. Mm. Uh, there's a really deep feeling in me that's um, in awe of being alive and uh, being in that river of reality that is constantly flowing. And I'll actually, I'll tell you what, it's actually a little annoying some days. Because <laughs> um, some days I'm like, oh, you know what? Today, let's just stay in bed and mope. 
that's that's why can't I just have one day like that? You know, like what what if I just stay in bed today and just you know have the computer on my lap and just you know completely unplug and just let myself be mopey. <laughs> um, but there's this like <laughs> there's this like little cheerleader <laughs> that's that's um, somewhere physically biochemistry in here that's like hey now we can do this we can do this don't 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 get to you know you you got to get up you know let's uh let's go team you know it's got little pom poms or something and uh and i'm like oh you know tim that's tim is the name i'm giving to my eternal cheerleader tim you know just not today okay just like give me let's let me just have today to be mopey and and you know we'll we'll do it tomorrow just you know chill out a little bit and and tim just like doesn't tim just uh is like you know what you're being a mopey miranda dylan you know just uh it's a beautiful day get outside go on a bike ride and uh and just start there so um you know it's uh it's it's <laughs> some days I wish it was you know some days I want to be able to turn that off but um yeah there's something there's something that doesn't let me do that um and uh And maybe this is one of the, the disappointments about um, practicing in a lineage with uh, if I have some preconception of getting something out of it is that a part of me believes that if I sit often enough or if the right circumstances occur, that I'll, I'll stop feeling that, you know, mopiness or fear and loneliness. But um, I don't, I, it's, you know, uh, I, I don't think that that's how it works, really. I mean, folks that have practiced longer than me can can fill me in, but um, I, I think I have that feeling sometimes. But that that you know, that if I sit long enough or sit the right way, that that won't be a worry anymore. But um, I think part of but but a deeper part of me tells me. And I think that sometimes that trusting Zazen is about reminding us that we're all in this together. And what, what are we in together exactly? That's a good question. So um, perhaps rather than me practicing as a way of me trying to be perfect and it's very possible that I've tried that from time to times in practice in, in, in this uh, in my practice perhaps um, trusting Zazen and perhaps practice is a way of uh, us learning how to be imperfect together And that it's okay for me to be me. Or actually, that's how I had written it originally, but then I changed it to, it's okay for me to be. And it's okay for you to be. It's okay for us to be. It's okay for us to be here together. So uh, what does it mean to just trust Zazen? And just what is Zazen, anyway? I keep asking Taigen this, and he keeps giving me different answers. Or maybe no answers is probably a better way of saying it. So um, I think to me an aspect of trusting Zazen means this is, this is how I feel about it. Uh, trusting Zazen means vowing 
to listen to my heart and to live wisely and compassionately as best as I can. Even though life is totally mystifying and confusing and unfathomable. And so it's impossible for me to know if I'm doing anything right. And trusting Zazen means to me that um, when we sit, we're giving ourselves a chance to listen to the sound of the river flowing. And, uh, and sometimes, you know, during Zazen, I remember in between the chatter, you know, sometimes I can, I remember that each of us is the river flowing, but it is still difficult, even though it is so amazing and awe-inspiring to be alive. It's still, um, it's still hard to be content in a world like this. And it's important to feel that. It's important to feel what we feel. I'm ripping that off from somebody. But because, um, because reality is unfathomable, then it is also unfathomable to comprehend uh, just how much real love is operating at every given moment. That's that's the part that I forget sometimes. It's easier for me to lean into how you know everything's confusing and I don't understand it. But an aspect of that means that because it's unfathomable, I'll just say it again so I can hear it again. Um, that it's un, it's it's not possible to comprehend just how much real love is operating um, at every given moment. So just as our pain is profound, so also, so also is, uh, is it profound how deep our courage is and how deep the healing is and how much possibility there is. That's just mathematics. <laughs> so just sitting helps me... Um, helps me remember how compassion operates like this. It operates in a universal context. Uh, so I'm, I'm never going to get anything out of this, but that's okay. I'm still going to trust. Um, I'm still going to trust Zazen. Uh, and this, this, uh, I, I was hosting the, Zen Mind Beginner's Mind um, service or program one Thursday night recently. And uh, there is this section that I'm going to bring in that uh, was kind of exactly what I needed to hear. So uh, Suzuki Roshi says in Zen Mind Beginner's Mind, Dogen Zenji became interested in Buddhism as a boy as he watched the smoke from an incense stick burning by his dead mother's body, and he felt the evanescence of our life. This feeling grew within him and finally resulted in his, in his attainment of enlightenment and the development of his deep philosophy. When he saw the smoke from the incense stick and felt the evanescence of life, he felt very lonely. But that lonely feeling became stronger and stronger and flowered into enlightenment when he was 28 years old. And at the moment of enlightenment, he exclaimed, there is no body and no mind. When he said no body and no mind, all his being in that moment became a flashing into the vast phenomenal world, a flashing which included everything, which covered everything, and which had immense quality in it. All the phenomenal world was included within it, an absolute independent existence. That was his enlightenment. Starting from the lonely feeling of the evanescence of life, he attained the powerful experience of the quality of his being. He said, I have dropped off mind and body. Because you think you have body or mind, you have lonely feelings. 
when you realize that everything is just a flashing into the vast universe, you become very strong, and your existence, be your existence becomes very meaningful. This was Dogen's enlightenment, and this is our practice. Uh, so, you know, obviously this passage really struck me because I've been really grappling with this loneliness during the pandemic. Um, but here, Suzuki Roshi is presenting it as a Dharma gate. And I was surprised because I've been looking at this loneliness as, you know, a weight on my practice, a weight on my life. But here, I think Suzuki Roshi is saying that this feeling is a pivotal aspect of practice. So then I started to think about these feelings uh, of loneliness that I've been having as being part of the refuge of practice, as being part of the path. And that was a really startling thought for me. And, uh, you know, it's easy to connect that, that paragraph to Dogen's encouragement to forget the self by studying the self, and that forgetting the self, by forgetting the self, we are being awakened by all, by all things. I think I'm quoting that somewhat accurately, or maybe not. Tigan's nodding, okay. So, um, you know, I've been focusing a lot about this you know, loneliness aspect of, of, of it, of uh, the pain, and not so much about the fear aspect that I brought up earlier. But I've been thinking about what the words for that fear are. And uh, I think it's this, uh, so I'll try to be honest again. I'm afraid that I'm, I'm not going to live a full life. Uh, I'm afraid that this time will go by quicker than I realize and that I'm wasting time, I'm wasting precious time. So then the question is, you know, what isn't a waste of time? And uh, some of us might know that phrase, uh, or that, that, that encouragement to not waste time from, from our Han. And I know that this sounds like an impenetrable question, but um, I, have a I have a thought. Um, and this is a thought, actually, that gives me a lot of comfort. Uh, and the thought is that the actions of my life, I don't think actually are really bound to one moment in particular. That uh, it's always possible that anything and everything I could do um, and did or might do or have done uh, could be meaningful. Uh, I'll give an example of when I took a ride on a Ferris wheel when I was 12 at, the, at a county fair, uh, you know, there's, I didn't know then that I would still be thinking about that for some reason now, that that, would, that, that, re that moment would be really pregnant with a lot of meaning for me. And, uh, you know, now when I'm 32, about to be 33, and I don't know how to articulate why that moment still sticks with me. Um, same thing of when I, you know, looked out the, the window of a train in Buffalo, New York, when I was 13 and saw a really big snow drift. Um, you know, I, I, don't, I, I don't think it would be possible for me to know at that moment that that was going to be really meaningful or that it would stay with me, but it has. So that's got to be true. You know, who knows, who knows when and how these moments arise and how they talk to each other throughout time. Um, and actually, it's possible that you might have experienced something like this uh, in our sangha. You know, a moment when somebody served you food, or you got here early and sat by yourself for a little bit, or, um, you know, you were doing the dishes, and you're still remembering doing the dishes two years later for some reason, and you don't know why. So... Uh, the past and the present and the future, they're all flowing into each other. They're all talking to each other. So I'm just deciding right now that I'm not going to worry about it anymore. Um, so uh, I'm going to wrap up here with uh, practice instruction from one of my best friends, Hong Zhe Zhang Zhui. Um, this is from Tigan's Cultivating the Empty Field. 
This is a practice instruction called uh, Positive and Appropriate Activity. Expansive and inherently spiritual, refined and inherently bright, awakened mind can permeate universally without grasping the merit of its illumination and can apprehend without being bound by discursive thinking. Emerging from manifestations of existence and non-existence, surpassing the emotions of deliberation and discussion, merely interact positively and appropriately without dependence on others. All Buddhas, all ancestors, all leaves, all flowers, and all flowers, relate in this manner. When responding, they do not grasp at forms. Where illuminating, they do not attach, attach to conditions. Then they can stay wide open and unhampered. Only this family wind, intimate awareness, appears complete everywhere. Let yourself accept it. So that's what I'm going to do. And that is all I have planned to say. So thank you for being here. Thank you very much, Dil, for your sincerity, for your honesty, and for celebrating Zazen. Uh, does anyone have comments, responses, questions for Dylan in the room or on the Zoom? I might not have any answers, but I'm happy to talk with you. <laughs> well, I, had a, I had a question. It was isn't wasn't Mopi one of the seven dwarves? Uh, yeah. Yes. Uh, sleepy. I've been that too. Okay. Might be dopey. You thinking? Might be dopey. Sleepy. Jerry. You know, I, the thing you said last, Dylan, I have to agree with you. I think one of the things that practicing Zazen, Zazen helps me with is... Jerry, can you speak up a little louder for the folks yeah. online? One of the things practicing Zazen has helped me with is just to say it's okay. You know, I mean, you sit and you think, you know, you're, whatever it is, you don't have it. <laughs> and then you're like, well, maybe you don't have it, but it really doesn't matter. You know, because it is what it is, and you're here, and life is good, and you move along, and sometimes, you know, we get so caught up in what we don't have, we forget to see what's right in front of us, and how it really is pretty wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that um, uh, it's really easy to take uh, take t- take the present for granted, you know. Take uh, um, or or to I guess the way I think about it is that you know, in every moment, there's so many gifts that it's not like it's. I think about, um, uh, oh, I'm forgetting who said it, but a lot that, that Buddha nature was about, um, right. About, uh, attitude, you know, that the capacity of seeing all the gifts of, of, of being alive, uh, is always there that, you know, if you, if you're looking at it, um, with a, with fresh eyes, with, with a, you know, with a beginner's mind, right? That um, you're open to the possibility of uh, rediscovering all the gifts around, you know, within and without. Um, and I think that, that there's also, you know, a, uh, that comes also with still uh, an awareness that there's, there are things to do, you know, that there are, there are, um, that's, I think the, the Bodhisattva way is to, to accept that, to let yourself accept that and, and enjoy that. And also, you know, see, um, 
and maybe this is this is part of the mysterious pivot. Maybe that's maybe this is part of the mysterious pivot. Is that at least for me, as you um, open yourself up to taking in the gifts in in a different way, and or being open to seeing seeing new ones that you're not used to, that um, it's easier to feel to to feel the connection of uh, when, you know uh, situations that that need a response. Um, so it's not like you know it's it's a mystery, it's a difficult way to say of like everything's everything's groovy you know and also there's lots of aspects of life that that are calling to us to to do something you know at the same time it's a tough uh you know maybe keeping that keeping that balance is part of a pivot of the practice as well or the the energy of the practice maybe <laughs> Yeah. Um, can I ask you to maybe like sharpen the connection between memory that you brought up and meaning? You you were kind of you were searching for some kind of the question I think was like you wanted what am I afraid of? I'm yeah. afraid that my life's not meaningful. And I too have those um, moments right from childhood, probably like the earliest one being the sunlight hitting carpet on my parents' bedroom floor. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking like it's overwhelmingly beautiful and I can't take it and it, it really like it stuck with me forever when I think back on that memory I think or others that come up like that that are instances of kind of realizing you're alive and seeing something and then for some reason it, it, it manifests a kind of seared nature in your memory is that it's connected somehow to death Mm -hmm. For me, I'm sorry to be, I'm all, I feel like whenever I talk in here, I'm always bringing up death, but um, I don't know. I'm, I'm wondering if you can kind of um, say a little bit more about what meaning you were finding in that. It seemed to be yeah. related for me when I think about those moments is related to my own impermanence and circles back to fear in a way okay. that I have um, of losing that beauty. Um, and so I'm just, yeah, I'm wondering um, what comfort you find there. Yeah. So um, I think one aspect of what I was trying to say is that that memory is alive mm -hmm. in me, that there are certain memories that are like I'm having a continuous conversation with, you know? Um, so it's, you know, the, it, what it, what it meant to me when I was 12 might be different than what it means to me now, you know? And, um, you know, I, I think I, I, you know, I obviously think about death as well. And there are times when that's imposing and times when that's energizing, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and times when I start thinking about what death is, you know? And so it's, then then it, it's not, uh, so it comes out of, it, it, it separates from a fear response for me and more of a, you know, a, a deep question about, you know, what, uh, what exactly self is, you know? Um, so it, it branches off into another direction. Um, but, um, I'll say that I'll, I'll describe those, I'll describe the Ferris wheel moment a little bit more that, um, uh, so yeah, I was at the Topps Field Fair in Massachusetts, in, my, in the home, my hometown, uh, or the town next to my hometown. I think I think the the, the, the Topps Field Fair claims to be the oldest county fair in the United States, or something. Um, and uh, yeah, so I I got on this Ferris wheel and. The memory is being at the top of the wheel and the song Mama, I'm Coming Home by Ozzy Osbourne playing. Does anyone know that song? Oh, yeah. You do? Okay. So apparently that song is really cheesy, but <laughs> I'll tell you what, it, it, it hit me really powerfully when I was, when I was in that moment. Um, and I was actually listening to it today uh, because I was uh, – 
I think it was because I had written this out, you know, for for uh, the other day during this talk or thinking about this talk. And it still it still has that effect on me. Um, so what is that? What was that feeling of being at the top of the roller? So th- and so I guess that's 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 my response to you is that some of those really profound um, moments don't mean just one thing, you know, uh, that like, I, that moment keeps living in my head of like being at the top of this Ferris wheel and hearing that guitar, you know, uh, and I think just seeing all these people and I think, you know, I was 12, 13. So just some sort of, a rising sense of independence or uh, distinction or, you know, uh, being uh, a distinct individual amongst many people, uh, you know, a, a, a large canvas of, of people around me and uh, being, being not with my family, you know, not just being just me alone in that box. And, uh, and yeah, some, and it's one of the mysterious things about music too, is like some, I, I can't, it's not a nostalgic feeling. It's not a sad feeling. It's not a happy feeling, uh, you know, that, that, that song gave while I was up there. So, um, uh, I think, I think the meaning is not, I guess I would say that it's not that the moment meant this one thing i think it would be that that moment and i keep talking to each other and that that how those that the fact that that conversation is alive for me that that's that's what's important for me you know maybe it's similar with that moment with your with the sunlight yeah I, um i wanted to respond a little bit about that and to katie and also just to say that i really appreciated your talking about Loneliness as a Dharma gate, you know, sadness is a Dharma gate, challenge is a Dharma gate. But uh, I've had, I had moments like that. I kind of feel like maybe everybody has. We don't, we may or may not remember them. Um, the one I, the first one I remember is age four, maybe, maybe five, sitting next to a lake in New Hampshire and just, just sitting at the lake and pine needles in the lake and, and, there was something luminous about it, and it was, I didn't say anything to anybody about it, but years later, after, you know, after I'd been sitting Zazen for a while, I remembered that. And so I would say um, those moments that call us, I wouldn't say they're about death, maybe, but I, more like they're, they're Zazen. They're calling us to see, uh, you know, like what Jerry was saying, the wholeness, the wonder that is here and uh you know sometimes naturally just there's something that provokes that and maybe that's what brings us here so thank you for your question katie and thank you dylan for your responses uh wait i don't know uh, when we have to be out of here it's 10 to 10. do we have oh, time for 10 to 9. 10 to 10 to oh 9. 10 to 9 i'm looking at that yeah. clock it wasn't turned back never mind so, um, yeah, do we, Helgetzer, okay, so do you have a comment or question? I do. Uh, Dylan, thank you so much for your very heartfelt, warm-hearted uh, offering. Katie, I did want to follow up something with you because I wasn't quite sure if I understood what you were referring to. And that is that, were you talking about like you had this experience of light <laughs> in the window and then a fear of losing that? Or did that just bring up? I was just kind of curious. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. I think that maybe for me, when I experience those moments that do kind of have this um, kind of ecstatic or the numinous mm-hmm. kind of thing mm-hmm. attached to them, that um, there's something overwhelmingly beautiful about just existing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's maybe some of what everybody is talking about. But along with that comes that my my fear, mm-hmm. my fear of death, my fear of not experiencing those things. Yeah. 
And so I think there is some beauty, but I think I was just talking about kind of the, the tension that I experienced mm-hmm. from having those memories or from having moments of, you know, wanting to be attached mm-hmm. to the experience of, mm-hmm. of that beauty, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, the reason I'm asking you about this is because I do think there's something that happens when we encounter a deep connection. That there's been an, almost a separation anxiety. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and that death or the sense my life won't be meaningful okay. is that, you know, Suzuki Roshi kind of talks about it when he talks about waterfall in Zen Mind Beginner's Mind. You know, just FYI, Proust also had that experience. <laughs> yes. Do you yes, love yes, that? Yes, yes, yes. yes. And Vermeer's mm-hmm. uh, view from Delft of seeing that little piece mm-hmm. of light. So I think this is a common experience and that we all experience it in our own unique ways. So thank you for sharing this with me. Thank you. Thank you, Joan. Jan, hi. Um, hi. So many things have come up with this today. Um, I, I saw a movie when I was probably about 15. And it was uh, considered a really crummy movie and um, nobody remembers it. It was called Little Abner. And, um, <laughs> and it was, you know, and there was a whole bunch of stuff in it about Sadie Hawkins Day and, and uh, the people running around and looking for a, a boyfriend and or looking for a girlfriend. And, you know, it was, it was, um, Apparently a very silly movie. I, I thought it was an extremely good movie. And, um, and, um, I, I was of the Scottish descent and, um, I was a Mormon and the movie was in Salt Lake. And I thought, I've, I always thought that I was of a certain class of person. And that I looked upon people who were not of the class I was in as being, uh, not being like me, you know, that <laughs> I, and so uh, when I went to this movie, I realized that this silly girl running around um, on Sadie Hawkins Day was feeling a tremendous, of course, it was an actor. It was an actress, but but the character was feeling very, very deeply what was happening to her and the importance of what she was doing. And I thought, you know, that hillbilly has really got important emotional content, <laughs> and <laughs> and I was so surprised at myself for even thinking that, and. Um, I never not thought other people's feelings were not important since then. Mm-hmm. I've, I've always felt that other people's feelings are strong and important and they matter. So now it's, you know, it's, um, Indigenous peoples in the United States, and there is a song in connection with this. Uh, I've only heard it once. I heard it yesterday, and it's about when will the Indian Wars ever end? Mm-hmm. And um, my friend is dealing with a place called Thatcher Pass that's somewhere around uh, um Colorado, where it hits um, Idaho, I think there's such a place. <laughs> anyway, Thatcher Pass is a really beautiful, important place where the uh, larger, um, um, the larger grouse lives. It's a bird, and um, where Native Americans live. But unfortunately, there's a, there's a lot of lithium there. And, um, 
And so now the grouse have probably got to go and the Native Americans have got to get out of there because some corporation is coming in to build a mine to take out the lithium and make a billion dollars. Um, and it's really sobering that such a thing could happen. And I think about how the people who have always lived there feel about having to uproot and be, be demeaned and um, go to some other place to live. Um, it's, it's worrisome. And I keep, it keep, I keep going back to that very silly movie and thinking, how come we don't know that their, that their feelings are, are really imp important? We really do need to leave. <laughs> so maybe we can have announcements and pack up. Um, announcements. Um,